Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know what's wild is college football is the second most popular sport in this country, and yet a large chunk of the national sports media treat it like it's a foreign language. They can't talk it. You force these people to talk about our sport for two seconds. They, they sound lost. I guess that's beneficial for us, but ugh, for the greater good of society, can we please learn a thing or two about this sport? We are jam-packed. We're high atop a ready-to-go downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It is Tuesday night, September 26th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We got week five predictions on the show tonight. Got a number of games we need to go over. I'm going to be down in Auburn Saturday for Georgia-Auburn, and people have questioned me. Jesse and Colin, you've heard it. People have been questioning, why would you go to that game? Need I remind you, the last two weeks, the building I've been in was the building where the game was decided on the final play. Is that my prediction? Well, we'll find out during the show tonight. I'm just saying, if you're flipping through the dial Saturday afternoon, that CBS 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central game of the week, may bear close watching. It turns out, the more I thought about it Monday, I've got some more things to say about this whole Dan Lanning thing at Oregon, this whole Ryan Day thing. A little bit of Deion Sanders, but mostly those two. I, I, I went back and listened to what we said Sunday night. I didn't get it all off my chest. And also some more things have been added onto the plate since then. Brand new JP poll tonight. I have not spoken to the model all week. Famously, I disagreed with the model last week on things such as putting A&M ahead of Miami, even after Miami boat raced A&M. And the model, it tried to put some more foolishness out there today. Luckily, I caught it at the pass. We'll talk about it in just a little while. And also, one of you had the nerve to ask me how I feel here in week five about my conference championship predictions. Well, the answer is, in some cases, not too good. Not to, I'm a realist. Not too good. And so what am I going to do tonight? I'm going to take my own good name and I'm going to drag it through the mud a little bit, but that's okay because there's a hose pipe out back and it's only week five. No one's eliminated yet, although things are looking pretty dire in some compartments of my predictions. They're watching us in Evansville, Indiana. Lulu, Florida is tuned in. Salt Lake City, Utah. You people are saints for tuning in, even though I cannot get a Utah game right to save my life. And Charleston, South Carolina, thank you guys so much. As you have seen, if you follow on Instagram, at Josh, 
just all sorts of things. It does not matter. I don't care if you're listening to me. I don't care if your girlfriend who couldn't care less about college football is listening to me. There are things for everyone over there. At Lake Kick Josh, wonderful behind-the-scenes access we had at Notre Dame, Ohio State last Saturday night. Friday Night Lines is there live on Friday night. It's the only place that you can get that. And some other odds and ends. So there you go. All right, let's dive into the show tonight. Always appreciate you guys being tuned in live. The live chat's always on fire, and yet it's always over here to my right. So I just I kind of see it in my peripheral vision going crazy, but I do go back and look after the show, and I ban like five people per show, but largely I just appreciate it. It's unprofessional. I shouldn't cover my face with my papers there. Um, one of the golden rules on this show has been and always will be is do not coach to please your enemies. And there were two glaring and wonderful examples of that going on last Saturday night. Uh, one of them was Ryan Day against Notre Dame. I know that's bent a lot of you sideways. And then Dan Landing and what he said before, during, and after the Oregon throttling of Colorado has rubbed a lot of you the wrong way. I famously have never particularly loved the way that Dabo Swinney went about motivating his team at Clemson. But if you'll notice, and you've watched the show for a while, or if you have, you've noticed, I always thought he did a great job. And that doesn't sound like it makes much sense, right? How can you both not like something someone does, but also think they're doing a great job? Well, it doesn't matter how I feel about how Dabo runs his program, as long as he's getting maximum efficiency and results out of his program. I'm not talking about this year, talking about over the long run. It was obvious, regardless of whether it rubbed me the wrong way or not, it was obvious at the level Clemson was playing that Dabo was doing something right. So who cares what I think about it? Well, I say the same thing about these folks who were upset about Dan Lanning saying what he said to his team and Ryan Day for saying what he said after the game the other night when he sort of quasi-targeted Lou Holtz. And I told you I thought that was just bottled up emotion that he's been carrying for a little while. Well, I'll get to Ryan Day in a second, but I wanted to circle back. Sometimes I clap when I'm really excited on the show. I want to circle back for just a second on this. We don't do this very often. By Tuesday, I have long since moved on from last week. But I thought about this yesterday, and the more I thought about it, the more I said, dude, you left a lot of meat on the bone the other night. So let's pick it clean here. I think Dan Lanning was really introduced to a large chunk of the college football public last Saturday. Now, if you're watching this show, chances are you're a diehard fan. So if you're watching this show, you already knew who Dan Lanning was. You had a fully formed opinion of him, and that's wonderful because that's how we roll. Not everyone rolls like us. Some people check in on Saturdays, and they don't follow the sports Sunday through Friday. These are people who would celebrate the offseason. These are people who don't mind being booked in a fall wedding. They're out there. I promise you, they're out there maybe closer to your social circle than you want to admit. Those folks did not know a whole heck of a lot about Dan Lanning going into Saturday. And then, for about a three- or four-hour window, Dan Lanning was blasted all over Twitter, all over Instagram, all over TikTok, all over national television. He was in the game of the week against Colorado, whether you want to call it that or not, it was. And all of a sudden, the first impression folks had of Dan Lanning was this dude that looked like a borderline psychopath going crazy, talking about how they're out for one thing, we're out for another thing, let's do the talking with our pads. Dude looked like Kirby Smart West, because that's kind of what he was. By the way, that's the last dude he coached under before he went and got his own job out at Oregon. Well, anyway. The game went the way it went, and I told you Sunday night, I don't know what Dan Lanning's going to say this week, but man, I know he's got a Monday press conference coming up, and I hope, and I hope, and I hope that he does not bend a knee to these people who are going to ask for apologies and ask him if he regrets anything. 
because it was obvious based on the level his team played at, he pressed all the right buttons. Well, we have acquired footage clear from Eugene, Oregon of said press conference, and we're going to give five stars to Dan Lanning for this one because, friends, this is how you put on a clinic after putting on a clinic. Here's what I say. We're playing to win the game, right? And you saw a 15-second clip uh, from a window view outside the house of what happens in the locker room, right? I, I know our locker room. I'm in the house 100% of the time. I know how our players felt um, going into that game. And I know what it takes to motivate our players. That's my job, to motivate our players, right? He has a job. I have a job, too, um, to get out there and to perform on the field. But inside that house, they felt a certain way. They felt a certain way about a group stomping on the O. They felt a certain way uh, about guys talking to them in the pregame. And I'm proud of those guys because what they decided to do is talk with their pads, right? They didn't want to do all, anything extra afterwards. They want to talk with their pads, and they did that on Saturday. I'm also um, grateful and, and can clearly acknowledge that the attention that we got this Saturday in large part was due to, uh, due to Dion and what he's doing to college football. And if anybody can't see what he's done for college football and how he's bringing excitement to college football, you're crazy. Credit Dion, check. Don't bend an inch, check. Defend your players, defend your position, check. And have your creative media people run circles around everyone else by out Colorado in Colorado after you body bagged Colorado. It was a clinic on all fronts from the University of Oregon this past weekend and bleeding into this week. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I know a lot of you don't peruse social media a lot. Uh, go borrow your nephew's account, log in, and just go watch the borderline short film that Oregon put out. It gives you a sense. If you just watched the broadcast, you wouldn't pick up on it. It gives you a sense of what pregame's like. I'm on the field every week. I see this stuff every week. I hear the talking every week. I know what it's like. Uh, frankly, I'm surprised that there are not knockdown, dragout brawls every week in college football. You, you, watch, you watch a team rack up three or four personal fouls in a game, and you call them undisciplined. And I'm sitting here thinking, I cannot believe, based on what it sounds like on this field right now, every one of these games does not devolve into just an outright street fight. It's crazy. So I had to the discipline that it takes to play at the level Oregon played at. And then afterwards, and you've, you've run up the score on someone, afterwards, your, your creative services department, it turns out, captured all the pregame talk. And it captured everything Dan Lanning's talking about. And I think they should enter that thing in some festivals. That was how, that was how good a cinematic presentation that was. But let me, um, let me try and put this in terms that 98% of the audience will understand. I know most of you did not play high-level college football. I know most of you didn't coach it. Most of you didn't go on to play pro. Most of you didn't go on to coach pro. I share that with you. I have it in common with you. I do have the good fortune of seeing this stuff up close every week. The, I'm telling you, the average person could not possibly comprehend how high a level this stuff is being played at, how high a level the intensity is, how off the charts, like animalistic the aggression is, the aggression that it takes to compete at this level, you don't reach that in a nine to five in a cubicle. You'd never need to reach that. I hope you don't reach that in your living room in, in Susquehanna on a Saturday. You didn't think I knew where that was, did you, Jesse? What happens though, is that's when you see it. You see it from your couch. And, and it's like, you're watching Dan Lanning go crazy. And it's exactly as he put it. You're seeing that kind of from the street view. You're seeing inside the window and the dude's yelling in his house. And you're saying, well, that's uncalled for. 
Little do you know, the kid just sprayed spaghetti sauce all over the walls after he warned him not to. There's a good reason he's in there yelling, is my point. You're not in the house. You don't know. You have, you have not the slightest clue. Well, you also didn't know what was going on in this game. And you also, from your couch, cannot possibly fathom what it takes to compete at the highest levels of the sport. Otherwise, you'll get run over. It's like you're sitting there watching Predator and the dude's standing on the bridge, slicing his chest open with a machete. And you're saying, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, from the living room in Little Rock, Arkansas, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Just like in the living room, watching Dan Landy go off pregame, it may occur to you that, oh, that's a little over the top. That seems a little performative. That's Dan Lanning, dude. And after the Ohio State game the other night, that's Ryan Day. If anything, what happened is both of those dudes, to a certain extent, sort of allowed the curtain to be peeled open or alternate point of view. Based on the fact that we have cameras in every square inch of a stadium now with microphones, you got to see some stuff that happens pretty frequently that you just aren't normally privy to. You don't normally get to see that. It happens a lot. Like what, what you saw is not out of the norm. I promise you it's not out of the norm. Did you see Lanning's players? Did you, did you see how well within the norm his attitude seemed for them? And if not all the time, certainly that was within the theme of what the attitude had been like around that program that week. Um, so I'm, I'm watching it and I appreciate it. And I had no problem with either one of them. But my point is, even if I did personally not really jibe with it, I don't care because they got the performances that they need to out of their team. That's their job. It's like Landing just said, that's their job. Also, with Ryan Day, I'm so interested. After this whole thing where, and I did not expect to say this, Ryan Day comments on Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz responds to Ryan Day. I should note uh, Lou Holtz brought it up before Ryan Day ever commented on him. I told you, I don't really think it's a Lou Holtz thing. I think it's a, a collective outside noise thing with Ryan Day. Um, I'm really interested to see how his team responds because I saw them play the other night. They win a game that was defensive, a slugfest in nature. That has not been their MO under Ryan Day. They've had elite quarterback play most of the time under him, so they've been able to run it up on teams. Well, they didn't run it up the other night. They still won. It's a testament to Ohio State. Now, you saw what he said. I'm sure by now you've seen what he said the other night and called out a lot of people who have questioned his team. He was just, it, it, the adrenaline's flowing, man. It's live TV. You never get to say, hey, hold on, can we do that again? You don't get to say that. It, we're live, pal, as Jim Ross once said. Um, so what I want to see is how his team responds. You know, because a lot of the criticism that Ryan Day has incurred, fair or not, and I, I lean not uh, far more often than I do fair with him, it's really on players to execute. You got to put them in the right position. You got to develop them and coach them up, but it's on players to execute. And if I'm in that locker room, I watch that dude and I want to run through a brick wall for him. But also I think to myself, wow, man, these people, they trash him because I don't do my job. How about I do my job? And I think that's what you'll see. I, candidly, it's what I've expected from Ohio State the whole year. We'll see where the JP poll has them a little bit later. But my point is when you see these dudes and they seem a little bit over the top, it's over the top to you based on where you're viewing it at that particular moment. It's not really over the top in their environment. Also, a lot of times you think you're seeing chapter one of something. You're really seeing chapter eight. That was a lot, and I mean a lot, a metric ton of BS in a lot of cases that led up to Ryan Day feeling the way he felt. That wasn't a Lou Holtz thing. That wasn't a week of the game thing. You're crazy if you think that. Otherwise, he'd be like that every week. Anytime someone ran their mouth, he'd be like that every week. 
uh, landing. Same way. You'd just see that every week if that was the case. I just happen to think there was good reason for both to behave the way they did. I got no problem with it. I know a lot of folks who I respect in some cases did have a problem with it. I don't care because I don't even care if I have a problem with it. As long as their teams perform the way they need to, that is all that matters. And then there's a period. There's no yeah, but. That's all that matters. Let's move on. Let's predict some games. Let's, let's get to this. I wanted, to, I wanted to just be curious for a second. Let's just say this was your show. Late kick with fill in the blank and the blank is your name. Which game would you circle as the marquee game this weekend? Last weekend, if it wasn't Ohio State Notre Dame, it was FSU Clemson. And I know that people had interest in Colorado, Oregon. I didn't think that was going to be a competitive game. So I thought it was the other two. This week, though, what do we have? We got, we got Florida, Kentucky, sneaky good game there. I'm going to the Auburn-Georgia game, Georgia-Auburn game, say the home team last, kids. We've got USC-Colorado. We, we've got uh, South Carolina-Tennessee. Like, there's some good games out there, but which one would you consider the big game? I'll tell you the one I'm starting with. USC goes to Colorado Saturday. Do we put Colorado in wounded animal mode here? Do they qualify for that? This is a noon Eastern kickoff. That's 9 a.m. on the West Coast, kids. Can you believe this? And Dion and company signed off on it. They said, yes, please. You know I love a big noon Eastern time kickoff. I've accepted the Dion tax in this sport. The Dion tax is what you're dealing with when you see people who don't know a lot about college football talk about college football. I said to open the show tonight, it is wild beyond imagination to me that this is the second most popular sport in America. And there are national sports media types who talk about college football like it's a foreign language. They are lost. The second you talk college football with them, they are lost. It's amazing to me, but it, it passes for national sports conversation somehow. You know what else, though? Been talking about the Dion tax. The Trojan tax is a thing. If Lincoln Riley wins a national championship at USC, you'll find out about the Trojan tax. Because if there's a college football team in Los Angeles, California, performing at a very high level, I know because I've seen it happen before, you got all kind of folks who have no clue you got folks who could not talk themselves out of a wet paper bag of college football conversation all of a sudden with a, with a megaphone in front of their face. And it's like, fight on, fight on, fight on. There is a Trojan tax. It's a pleasure to pay it because that means you're winning, by the way. So we talk about the freeze point sometimes on this show. The freeze point, basically, if you've got a big point spread like we have on this game, the freeze point is the minimum baseline that you have to be able to work at as a team to have a shot to win a game. So I'm going to consider Colorado has a shot in this game. That's why we're going to break it down. What I learned from the Oregon game was nothing that I didn't think I already knew. So Colorado cannot protect the quarterback right now. And we saw that and we've seen that though. That wasn't anything new. Colorado is not a run first team by any stretch. We knew that already. So that was nothing new that the Oregon game presented to us. Colorado struggles to stop the run. That is nothing new. We've seen that so far this year. So with all that working against you, how do you upset USC? How do you find a path? USC, second in FBS right now in rush yards per attempt. So if you're struggling to stop it already and they got the cats they do in the backfield, doesn't sound like it bodes well. Colorado allowing the eighth or the ninth highest run rate in the country right now, not too good. USC, sixth best pressure rate. Colorado, 
has allowed the most sacks in FBS right now. So it makes sense why there's a three-plus touchdown spread on this game. What has to happen? In the interest of fairness here, if Colorado pulls this upset, what has to happen? First, they need the early jolt. They can't be getting down 7, 14, 21, nothing like they did against Oregon. Um, that could happen via a pop pass yards after catch. It could be a special teams thing. Defense has forced a lot of turnovers. They got a lot of takeaways. So whatever the case may be, they got to get home crowd involved. They don't have to work against the same stuff they did on the road last week. Colorado's forced 11 turnovers this year. That's the good news. The bad news is, if you think you're going to do it through the air, Caleb Williams has not thrown an interception yet. And if you find out that you can run it early on Colorado, and I figure USC may have a fair amount of success there, I don't know how many risks they're going to feel like they need to take. They're going to need some help from USC, though. To, to be there in the fourth quarter, I think they'll need some help here. But what about USC's defense? Because this is the shot for Colorado here. If they're in it in the fourth quarter, it's, it's probably because they've won the hidden yardage thing. But also, I was totally puzzled, still am, by the USC-Arizona State outcome last week. Arizona State has no players left. And USC never really pulled away from them at all. They allowed, USC allowed 12 plays of 15-plus yards to Arizona State. Uh, I can assure you, if Arizona State can do that, Colorado can do that. And we'll know early. Uh, we'll know early if they're, if they're popping big passes or, or if it's underneath stuff and it's yards after catch. We'll know early. I don't think that's the kind of thing that USC is going to give up early and then tighten up as the game goes on. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Shadur Sanders is a 70, nearly a 77% completion guy this year. So if, he's, if he looks like he's on early... And then that crowd kind of gets behind them and, and USC looks a little discombobulated. Could be a four-quarter game. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. I already told you Vegas has this at USC minus 21 and a half. That's right where we have it. We got USC minus 21. I am a believer that Colorado coming back home after dealing with what they dealt with last week will respond. Um, Travis Hunter's still not playing here, but I do think USC will win this. I think Colorado will find a way to cover this. I think there'll be a, an inspired effort enough and also the opportunity for a backdoor cover enough to where I'll take USC to win. I will take Colorado to cover. I don't think it's quite as lopsided as it was last week. You're talking currently about the number one versus the number nine team when it comes to odds to win the Pac-12 championship. Academy Sports and Outdoors presents this show to you free of charge. Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods plus. Uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors also, when it comes to the plus, has a lot of things that you probably don't realize they have. More important to me this time of year, because this time of year, you're starting to get into fall, which precedes winter. And that means you could do anything from camping to grilling. Uh, you, you could be totally overhauling your wardrobe. They've got it all for you. And they've also got it on academy.com if you can't get there in person. And I stress to you guys all the time, go in person if you can. Because it always exceeds expectation. And it just makes you feel good. You go from just seeing it on this little screen behind me every week. It's not that little, but immunity. But you go from seeing it on the screen to, to seeing it in person. It does things to you. It's a magical experience. I don't know any of our viewers have ever gone to academy.com or Academy Sports and Outdoors in person and hit me up and said, you know, a little underwhelmed. Most of the time it's, hey, I thought you were lying when you said they had everything I need. 
voila, look, I found some mittens, or whatever the case may be. And as always, they got Big League Chew in the checkout line. Academy Sports and Outdoors, we appreciate them as always. Let's roll on. I've got the ultra rare, I mean ultra rare, post-it pop here. Colin, here's your end point. This little post-it in my hand has terrible news for one team in the SEC West. So I am going to Georgia-Auburn Saturday. I will be there on the Plains, the Once Upon a Saturday Tour in tow, and it's a 14.5-point spread right now. How much of the country has watched Georgia? How many, I know you may have seen highlights, how many of you have watched this team this year? I don't think that many of you have. Well, before I talk about Georgia, there's a little post-it in my hand that has a stat that's quite frankly a little unbelievable. This is courtesy of Brandon Zimmerman. Auburn has been under 100 passing yards in their last five games against Power 5 competition. That is ineptitude. That dates back to last year, obviously. That, oof. I read it, and I'm going to throw that post-it away for the sake of my friends in the greater Lee County area. That's brutal. So, obviously, that would be a padlock stat. We got to reverse that this Saturday. Georgia, flipping the script now, Georgia has played UT Martin. They played Ball State, South Carolina, where they trailed 14-3 to before pulling away in the second half, and they've played UAB. They've won six straight versus Auburn. Is this their ignition moment? Like G Georgia has not played at a national championship level yet. I don't think they have. I think they're capable of it, though. They're one of several teams that at any given point could just, just take off. They just ramp up, and all of a sudden, oh, there's the Georgia that I expected in August. There's the Georgia I expected coming out of spring. As always, when we're looking at a game with a double-digit spread, we got to make the case. If the upset happens, what would have to happen? Well, the situationals would have to work against Georgia. So the first thing is I think a lot of people circled this game, number one, because it's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Number two, on a much more national level, if you circle this game and you live in El Paso or San Angelo or Odessa or Lubbock or any of a number of small to mid-sized Texas towns for some reason, you probably circled it because it's Georgia's first road test. It's a conference game, but it's also their first road test. And you never really know in this sport until you take your operation on the road what you have, especially if you've got a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback as part of that operation. So it's taken apart lesser teams before. Jordan-Hare Stadium, really, really charged environment. If you do what Penn State did to him last year, you silence the crowd and they spill out of there early. But if you don't do that, in other words, if Georgia allows this Saturday what South Carolina did to them, and it's Auburn going into the half with a 14-3 lead, Whew. you've rarely heard noise like you'd hear in the second half at Jordan-Harris Stadium if that were to happen. Also, we need to have Auburn in the wounded animal mode. They just look terrible against A&M. Now, I know a lot of you watch that, and you say, well, if Auburn looked terrible against A&M, no way they can beat Georgia. What I saw is a team looks so terrible offensively, I don't see any incentive for them to maintain. I think there will be changes at the way they handle quarterback. Like maybe we'll see Robbie Ashford Saturday, and I don't know that. That's that's total blind statement for me. I also think it, the, the way they call plays, Hugh Freeze talked about this, the way they call plays, I think there'll be a lot of adjustment. There's no guarantee that works. Please understand me. But a lot of times, sometimes you just roll the dice out there and they come up the way you need them. That would need to happen for Auburn. 
And you need to have some weak spots for Georgia that maybe the country hasn't seen that you expose and the moment exposes and the environment exposes. Now, Auburn's defense has eight takeaways this year. That's tied for most in the ACC or the SEC. I don't know where it would land them in the ACC, but Georgia's first test here with a team that can run the ball and is dedicated to running the ball. That's what I'm most interested to watch because here's what I think. I think Georgia will pass the test. I never know. I, I, I never know until I actually get to see it. Two things, though, that, that make me feel good about Georgia this week. Number one, this is the moment they could find their pass rush. Now, if you've watched the Georgia games, you probably could explain why their sack rate is pretty low. I know sacks are not the end-all, be-all. Just it makes more sense to a mass audience to talk about sacks rather than havoc rate and pressure rate. So when, you're, when your stats are all in a line and, and there's, no, you know, there's no big offset one versus the other, I'm just going to talk about sacks because more people identify with sacks. Georgia's got five sacks through four games this year. That's low by their standard. Now, they've also faced a bunch of teams getting the ball out really quickly. This week, I'm very interested to watch this because Auburn has allowed a 10.6% sack rate this year. That is 12th worst in FBS. So there is a world where Georgia doubles their sack total in one afternoon this Saturday. There's a world where that happens. Also, the Georgia ground game could emerge this Saturday. Auburn is allowing 134 rush yards per game. That is the second worst number out of all the teams in the SEC. So if pass rush shows up for Georgia all of a sudden, if the run game pops for six and a half yards per carry, it's going to be a good afternoon for the Bulldogs. Therefore, Auburn needs the game to be ugly. In years past, with the styles of these two teams, it was Georgia that wanted to ugly up the game. It's not here. It's not because Georgia's got the better offense, at least to this point this year, even with a new quarterback, even with a new OC. So it's Auburn that needs to lean on defense. Crazy we're saying that about a Hugh Freeze team. But it's Auburn that needs to lean on defense, lean on home field, maybe force some mistakes from Carson Beck, and then just kind of see what happens there. They need the South Carolina script to repeat, but instead of being on the road in Athens, it's Auburn at home. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number right now is Georgia minus 14 and a half. I always love teams coming off a loss, coming back home. Auburn fits that description here. They are playing a team that hasn't been on the road yet this year. I think Georgia's going to win this game. I think their offensive line is going to provide the single biggest mismatch in this game. I think they'll be able to run the ball effectively, but also because of the style and because of the fight I think they're going to get out of Auburn, I actually don't think they're going to pull away to the degree it would take for them to cover. So I'm going to take Georgia to win. I will take Auburn to cover if you're giving me 14 and a half. And the model for the record, if you're listening on podcast, agrees because it has Georgia minus 12. The odds to win the SEC championship right now, Georgia still number one, Auburn number 10. And we will be there Saturday. And I just received word before we went on air, the Once Upon a Saturday Tour shirts for this game are within 83 of breaking our record so far this year. And I know our audience, especially down in that part of the country, I can safely say we're going to break that record. It's on the screen right now. And if you're listening on podcast, just go to PateStateMaterial.com. It's right there. It is one week only after Saturday night. That one goes into the history books. You can never buy it again. And we are very, very excited. As we always are, it's kind of a homecoming. Get to stay in my hometown of Columbus, Georgia. Well, Ports in Georgia. 
just north of Columbus this this Friday night in advance of the game. Looking forward to seeing everyone down there. All right, let's move on. Game predictions continue. Appreciate you guys if you're watching live. I you know, I should throw this um not a disclaimer, but I should throw this reminder out. I have no problem with anyone coming into the comment section on Sunday and talking about whether a pick was good or bad. But if you're coming in there to talk about how a pick was bad, you better have record of having given your prediction on the game. Because if you don't, let me tell you what the most played out statement on the face of the earth is. And if you're, you're guilty of this, just stop. For your own sake, stop. People who say this aged poorly after the benefit of hindsight are, um, I'm not going to say you are a loser. You are exhibiting loser tendencies. As Mimo always said, smart people can do casual things. Casuals rarely do smart things. You're probably a smart person guilty of casual behavior there. A blind monkey can tell you a pick was bad if the blind monkey gets to witness the game. They wouldn't watch it because they're blind. No one cares about you coming in here on Sunday and telling me a pick was bad. Go on record yourself. Now, if you're on record yourself, if you put your own self out there, be my guest. Swing away. Other than that, your comment's getting deleted, and you'll probably get blocked from the channel. It's not that I'm thin-skinned. Look, my, my skin is just as thick as anyone else's, but it clutters up the comment section, and if I'm sitting on a plane on no sleep and I'm scrolling through that, I can only look at that so many times. Okay. Very Scrooge-ish attitude from me right now. Christmas. Um, Three months from yesterday. Get the shopping done. LSU versus Ole Miss is, I think, the sleeper game of this Saturday. It is a 6 o'clock Eastern time kick. Yeah, so 5 o'clock local time there in Oxford. I can go ahead and tell you the model is going haywire on this one. So it's the first time these teams have met in a top 20 matchup since 2003. That's Eli Manning in Oxford, Mississippi. The last seven games, LSU has averaged 42.3 points per game. What does that all mean? Absolutely nothing. I just wanted to throw it out there. How does Ole Miss avoid a repeat of last year? If you'll think back to last year in this game, Jaden Daniels went off. He went off nearly 400 yards through the air, five touchdown passes. LSU pulled away. They won 45-20. My advice, and I'm going to say it slow so everyone hears it, Score a bunch of points. Just score more if you're Ole Miss. They didn't score last week. They didn't score enough in this game last year. Score. And it's got to be with Jackson Dart. And if you go back and watch LSU last week, they had trouble putting Arkansas away. I'll tell you what gave them trouble. K.J. Jefferson, with his legs, made a bunch happen. That doesn't always just mean on the ground either. It means extending plays and then throwing the ball over the top. That stuff messed with LSU last week. Jackson Dart can do the same thing. He did not do it against Bama effectively enough last week. Um, LSU's not as good defensively as Alabama. So maybe it happens this Saturday. LSU's going to be able to score. Like you cannot be counting on getting into the fourth quarter and it being a rock fight in a sand pit. That's not happening. So I'm assuming I'm going to need 31 plus to win it. That's what I assume against LSU. And if I don't, I don't. That's great. I got to have Jackson Dart be the most important player in this game. I got to have my wide receivers healthy. I got to have Quinshawn Judkins healthy at running back or as healthy as he's been. And there's reason to believe that he's probably there for Ole Miss. But if all that's in place, then can LSU do what Alabama did? It'll be tough. 
what Alabama did is they held Ole Miss to 56 rushing yards. They pressured Jackson Dart. They sacked him five times. They got after him all afternoon, and they made him make high leverage throws, and it didn't work. And Alabama didn't even have to score a whole lot. It did not work. LSU's pressure rate is second last in the SEC, which of course makes no sense because they appear to have disruptors all over the place. Um, I know they've been playing a certain kind of way down there. Whatever. Uh, if, you, if you don't get after Jackson Dart, he will beat you Saturday. So I would advise attempting everything you can to get after Jackson Dart. The game's going to be decided, I think, on third downs. LSU's offense is fourth in FBS on third downs right now. They've been very, very good on third down. Ole Miss, not so much. Offensively, third worst in the SEC. Now, on any given Saturday, that's like turnovers. That can totally invert. But all we have to go on is what we have to go on. So right now, LSU looks to be the team with the edge. But I'm telling you, as I said the last two two games we predicted, and I'm going to say it again, teams that lose and are coming home off that loss, I'm always attracted to. It is one of the sicker parts of my personality. I, when everyone else is speeding out of town, I'm Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day with my, with my elderly father there in the passenger seat typing away on a laptop made in 1984. We're driving towards the issue. We're driving towards the problem. Great movie. Great, great and very realistic film, Independence Day. Very true to life. If aliens invaded, it would be very true to life. I think that I need to take a look at what the model says on this game because Vegas has LSU minus two and a half. And that probably doesn't surprise you. LSU a slight favorite. What you need to know is the model disagrees. The model thinks the wrong team is favored. Really? So the model has Ole Miss minus one. And they think I hate them in Oxford. Did you know that, Colin and Jesse? They think I hate them in Oxford. I, you couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I'll leave it at that. You couldn't be further from the truth. I am taking Ole Miss to win this game outright. I think they're going to pull a mild upset there. And I think it's going to be because of Jackson Dart. And I think it's going to be pretty wild. I, I think it has game of the month potential. And we've had some crazy games already. I think that Ole Miss is going to somehow find a way. And if they do, is that right, Jesse? LSU is ranked 13th right now. If they do, maybe Lane Kiffin ups that stat that we read the other night, like 1-18 versus teams that finish with nine wins or more. I think Ole Miss is going to find a way to win this game. And if, if they do now, that just throws the SEC West into a blender because Ole Miss has already got a conference loss. They've got a division loss to Alabama. They can't lose Saturday, or else they're, for all intents and purposes, they're out of the division race. LSU's not out of anything if they do lose Saturday, though, because their loss is out of conference right now. LSU is spotless in conference play. It would just, it would just be very, very chaotic. If LSU wins this game, you kind of maintain that trajectory of, of this Alabama-LSU collision course, and I'm not saying either one of them is guaranteed to go undefeated between now and then, but if LSU does lose, I'm going to lean slightly that they do. Boy, oh boy, what a mess we have in the SEC West. I will get texts. I got about five dedicated LSU friends who watch this show, and if I pick against them, and sometimes I do, I hear from them, and I know it's coming. That's fine, though. Because if you think I'm taking heat for that, wait do you see what I'm about to show you. It's JP poll time. I need to take a, you need to excuse me for a second. I need to take a long sip from the chalice. 
I'd also like to take this opportunity to address a sound you've been hearing. Jesse calls it whale mode. When you hear this, <clears throat> Jesse thinks that sounds like a whale clearing its, its blowhole out or whatever you call that thing. It's spout. <clears throat> um, sometimes in spring and fall, I get a stuffy nose on air. And I don't want to take time to clear it because that would just make me too normal. So instead of saying, excuse me, and blowing my nose like a normal person, I just find very sneaky ways to go right in the middle of a sentence and hope that you think it's just feedback. Hopefully you think Colin didn't wire the microphone right. As I've told you many times, I just want all the credit. I'm not interested in blame or criticism. I just want the credit. And so up until this point, I have hidden from you the fact that that's actually me. But I thought about it today, and I looked in Director Collins' innocent doe eyes, and I said, he doesn't deserve to shoulder this burden. So, yep, that's me. Blame it on the allergies. Blame it on the transition of seasons. Whatever the case may be. Blame it on the fact that we're live. We could, we, I could have Bradley the Associate edit this out in post, but we don't like to operate with a safety net. The college football playoffs expanding. Every team's going to have a safety net under them. Not us. Not us. We're, we're going tightrope, 100 feet off the ground, and if we fall, yeah, if he dies, he dies. That's our motto around here. Not literally, because HR is steadfast against it, but HR leaves the building about 5, 5.15 every day, so we're good. Okay. JP poll time. JP poll's not a ranking. It's a power rating, people. Cannot make that clear enough. Literally, I can't make it clear enough, no matter how many times I say it. People will come at me. Um, this is, the, here, hello. I would like to introduce you to the model. If you're listening on podcast, that is, that is the model. And the model spits this out. And the model is really good at what it does. It wins money for us every year. And I have it once a week spit out ratings, not rankings. Uh, merit doesn't matter. Your record doesn't matter. Who you've beaten really doesn't matter in terms of how it assigns you a rating. All it cares about is who it would favor against who. It's got power ratings for every team in America. And we get the one through 25 from it every week. So doesn't mean I agree with it. There are a couple of very notable exceptions, my opinion versus the model even tonight. Last week was just outright egregious, though. So let's see how far the model has come back to the crowd here. 25 through 21, UCLA, still power rated. They're number 25. Ole Miss drops seven spots to number 24. Kansas State climbs to number 23. TCU, the model is just higher on. Jesse, is TCU ranked in the AP? that you know of? No, they're not? Okay. So the model's higher on TCU. It sees something in Fort Worth. I don't, but the model does. And the model normally is ahead of the curve a little bit, so we'll see. Florida is number 21, and they're playing Kentucky this week. We move on. I, I got no huge issue with anything there. North Carolina's at 20. Now, if you, if you watched Friday Night Lines last week, the model was really, really high on the idea that Pitt was going to cover against North Carolina, and they didn't. So, you know, the model shortchanged North Carolina last week. Maybe it still is. Oregon State dropped five spots. I think the model looked and said, you really let Washington State go off on you like that. Now, I looked and said, uh, excuse me, model, where's Washington State? It did not power rate them. There are 25 teams the model would favor over Washington State right now. Again, this is not Pate State Sportsbook. I don't have to post these numbers, uh, but the model kind of on an island there. 
But I, you know, the more I look at Connolly's numbers and some of those other guys, they kind of agree. Uh, Miami's at 18 and Texas A&M's at 17. And yet again, you need go back only two weeks, three weeks now, to remember that Miami hung nearly half a hundred on Texas A&M. The model says, don't care. Neutral field tomorrow, Texas A&M still favored, I think by three-tenths of a point. So negligible, but I'm telling you, I'd pick Miami in that game. And I'd wager uncomfortable amounts of money on it. No, agree to disagree. It's just that normally you say that to a human. I'm saying it to a to an inanimate object over here. Clemson is number 16. They did not fall hardly at all uh, because the, you know, the post-game win expectancy indicated Clemson wins the game against Florida State more often than they lose it. So we didn't punish them at all for that. Next up, top 15. Utah's number 15. Judging by the reputation of this show, I will just blindly assume we're too low on Utah. I don't know how, how low, but we're probably too low on Utah. LSU's at 14. They dropped seven spots. One, but dropped seven spots. It's tough around here. Uh, Tennessee is, t- I don't get it. I, don't ask me. Don't ask me. Tennessee climbed nine spots up to 13. And I got to tell you something. I tampered. I did. I tampered. The model's higher on Tennessee than 13. And even Director Collin would probably come in my ear right now, Immunity, and say, nope. You're right. Got to make us earn it. We don't belong in the top 10. The model had Tennessee in the top 10. I tampered. I'm telling you I tampered. And normally that would get you some flack from Tennessee fans. I I think you're kind of giving me a golf clap right now. You know Tennessee's not a top 10 team right now. The model doesn't, but you do. Oklahoma's at 12, unchanged. Notre Dame is at 11, virtually unchanged. We kind of just got the performance we thought we would get from Notre Dame. They, they played right to the spread. So any kind of odds-making or power rating system worth its salt, if you get the exact result that the odds indicate you should get, means you don't change the team at all. You don't bump them because they lost, because they played exactly to your expectation. Top 10. We have got Florida State at number 10. Um, got to also tell you this. The model has Clemson above Florida State by one-tenth of a point. So it has them tied, and it had them that way last week. And as I said, they played a game that went to overtime. The post-game win expectancy leaned Clemson, which means nothing in the standings because a win is a win by that metric. But in the odds-making community, in the, in the calculator community, doesn't look at it that way. Well, I tampered again because I'm putting Florida State above Clemson. Sorry, I'm just doing it. Michigan number nine, Penn State number eight. I don't argue with people right now who have Penn State as the number one team in the Big Ten. It's just that the model does not agree. And I'm okay because I don't have a strong enough pushback to tamper a third time. USC dropped to number seven. Confusing game against Arizona State. The model noticed. The model punished. Bama's at number six. Bama's a team you need to watch close this next couple of weeks. It's a team that's capable of scaling. Ignition could turn at any moment or the car battery could be dead at any moment. Literally anything can happen with Alabama. But you do not drop a team that talented in the odds-making world. You just don't. I know, I know already the comments are going to say, Bama's way too high. If this was the AP poll, yes, they're too high. It's not the AP poll. It's not a ranking. Let's go top five. Washington's at number five. Too low for me. I look at these teams. I'm going to read five to one. So Washington's five, Oregon's four, Georgia's three, 
Texas is two, and Ohio State's one. Man, if I put Washington on the field with some of these teams, they'd be terrified right now. So Washington's five, and that's, that's all well and good. Here's the beautiful thing. We get to see Oregon go to Washington in a couple of weeks. I think two weeks from this Saturday, Oregon goes to Seattle. And maybe we go right along with them. We've never been to Seattle and with any tour before on late kick. So we'll see. Georgia's number three. Uh, I said Texas is number two. Ohio State maintains their spot as the number one team. And as I was walking out of Notre Dame Stadium, I told you this Sunday night, I'll tell you one more time. Hat tip to the couple of fans in the stands there yelling, Ohio State, still number one, JP poll. Well, I told you guys probably, and now absolutely yes, they are still number one. I welcome comments. I welcome feedback. I'm just telling you, don't be asking me how so-and-so is ranked over so-and-so. These aren't rankings. Don't be asking me how so-and-so with this record is ranked below so-and-so with that record. These aren't rankings. I don't care about record. I already explained to you the methodology. If you don't like it, great news. They have the AP poll already ready for you. The end. Next up, we got a question. I got a couple of more games to predict. Actually, I've got one more game to predict. I've got two more best bets to add, so hang with me. Good pace tonight. There was fear within the hallways of this building that the show was going to go an hour and a half. I don't think we're going quite that long tonight. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud right quick. Yeah, I'm going to take a sip from the chalice. Hold on. There we go. Whale noise and a sip from the chalice. Shut up, Jesse. So um, this could be Jamie. It could be Jaime. Either way, it's a question I don't like. Uh, at jmax33 said, how confident do you feel about your conference title picks? And I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me angry. You have successfully made me angry. Let's just go right to, the, right to the sorest point, and that is the Big 12. I will not beat around the bush. It is time to face this head on. I, friends, back in August, out of boredom, predicted Texas. That's good, right? Texas is looking good. I predicted them to win the Big 12, but I know what you're thinking out there. You're saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not the problem. Who did you pick them to play against in the Big 12 championship game? Oklahoma State. Texas versus Oklahoma State. It was so egregious that our own graphics department accidentally put Texas versus Oklahoma on the graphic I had them make because they were sure I meant Oklahoma. I didn't. I wish I did. I didn't. Now, that's what you know publicly. What you don't know privately is I am the kid who tells his parents, you don't need to spank me. I already spanked myself. It never works, but I used to do it anyway. And I also want to tell you guys, you don't need to criticize me. Yeah, I picked Oklahoma State to play for the Big 12 championship. You don't need to hate on me. You don't need to criticize me. And I'm going to tell you why. Surveillance caught footage earlier today of what I've been putting my own self through. If you're disappointed in me, I'm 10 times more disappointed in myself. Colin, do we have the footage? This is how I've been walking around the building. And if you're listening on podcast, S-H-A-M-E. Those are the letters that spell the word shame plastered across my face. I can't even see where I'm going. Some would argue that's the state of mind that I made the prediction in to begin with. I don't feel good about it, Jamie slash Jaime. I don't feel good about it at all. 
So if we could just erase the state, and I could just go Texas, Oklahoma, I will watch that game along with the rest of you in a couple of weeks. Maybe we see a rematch in Dallas. I'm sure that would make the league office ecstatic that those two play for the conference title on their way out the door. So I don't feel good about it. In the ACC, I predicted Clemson versus Florida State. I predicted Florida State to win. I still feel good about that. Okay, so the good news here is my conference champ picks are still faring very well. It's just their opponents. Like Clemson's not going to play, I don't think, for the ACC title. We have still got half a dozen undefeated teams in this conference, and not one of them is Clemson. We've got Florida State, obviously. North Carolina, Miami, Duke, Syracuse, Louisville, and NC State are all undefeated. Some of them haven't even played conference games yet. They're all undefeated. Clemson's not overtaking all of them, I don't think. So I just need Florida State to win the conference at this point, I guess. Otherwise, I'll feel terrible about myself come December. In the SEC, I don't have much to say right now because it was Bama versus Georgia, and it's still on track to be Bama versus Georgia. Like They're still the favorites, respectively, until something changes. LSU has to come to Tuscaloosa. Bama's playing really good defense. I just assume the offense will continue to find marginally better versions of itself. They're the two odds-on favorites to win the SEC championship right now, so I'm still good on that one. We'll see. The Pac-12 was and continues to be the toughest conference to handicap. I had Oregon versus UCLA. Uh, UCLA let me down Saturday when they went and lost to Utah, only giving up 14 and still losing. Tough. Could be an issue here. But I picked Oregon to win the conference. So they're right up there with USC as the, they're not co-favorites. USC is the slight favorite. Oregon and Washington have the same odds in the number two position right now there. And there's a lot of them, two, three of them actually, bunched up at the top. The demolition derby round robin, like free-for-all scheduling chunk of Pac-12 play is still to come. So all these teams are still going to play each other, except for UCLA. They dodge a couple of the big boys, but they already have a conference loss. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, in the Big Ten, ugh, ugh. Uh, we got Ohio State winning the thing, and so far so good there. They have not played Penn State or Michigan yet. I had Ohio State versus Iowa. And while you may think, ooh, gross, I bet you want that Iowa pick back for whomst. Everybody in the Big Ten West has a loss. And not all of them are conference losses, but everyone's lost. Wisconsin's the only team over there that doesn't have a conference loss. It's only September 26th. This is a landfill of a division. Uh, they face Ohio State, by the way, do the Wisconsin Badgers. So I know that Washington State loss doesn't look as bad as it once did. But man, it could still very well be Iowa. They got shut out last week. Penn State had more total plays than Iowa had total yards. That's playing legitimate competition. You don't face that in your division. You just, as I said, it's a landfill of a division right now. And so Iowa could very well emerge from that. Uh, whoever it is, it's, your, it's, your on, it's like going to a Sarah McLaughlin concert. That's what the Big Ten Championship game will be. Guaranteed, you might as well wheel the piano onto the 20-yard line. But in the meantime, we do have to play this thing out. It's the last year of divisions, thank the Lord, in the Big Ten. They're watching us in Evans, Georgia, Cypress, Texas. And guess which town has reemerged on the late kick radar as of tonight? 
Pocatello, Idaho is back. Where have you guys been? For a little while, we had check-ins in Pocatello, Idaho. It became the official outpost of the show west of the Rockies, and we appreciate you guys. Got another game to break down here, and then I got two added best bets. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Hey, make sure, make sure you like the video. There's several thousand of you in here, and we're below a thousand likes, and those are poverty numbers, and we're not a poverty show. It may cost nothing to watch, but we're not a poverty show. I may wear the same shirt every week and golf clap for the white t-shirt being back, but we're not a poverty show. Ugh, but there are smudges on the chalice, so we need to wash this thing after the show. But we are not, I promise you, we're not a poverty show. Let's continue. Florida versus Kentucky is a noon Eastern kickoff on ESPN this Saturday. And I know what you're thinking. I think I know what you're thinking. I think you're thinking, uh, got to lean Florida here. Seems like they figured some things out against Tennessee. But I know what I'm thinking. And I'm thinking, I'm terrified for Florida this Saturday. You know why? Well, first off, they got to play Mark Stoops and Kentucky at home. Secondly, you know Florida's an underdog in this game, right? Kentucky's favored by two and a half. Just a little FYI for the rest of the casual world out there that thinks this would be an upset if Kentucky won. What did Florida figure out, by the way? I sound so hostile towards Florida. I picked Florida to beat Tennessee. What did we learn? What did they figure out? Well, they figured out how to put Joe Milton in a blender passing the ball in the first half, which they did. And by the time they got some things figured out, it was too late and Florida never let go of the lead. So they ruined Joe Milton in the first half. They ruined Tennessee's chances to win that game. Devin Leary, it's the first shot to see him on the national stage this year. Transfer from NC State, Devin Leary is a much more capable passer than Joe Milton. Here is the problem. He hasn't necessarily shown that yet this year. There's a great big butt here. Like He's got the potential. But man, here's some trivia that'll throw him for a loop. If you drop this on Friday night with your buddies, did you know the quarterback with the best completion percentage of all transfer portal quarterbacks is playing in this game? And his name's Graham Mertz, not Devin Leary. What? Now, yeah, I mean, Graham Mertz is averaging throwing the ball three yards through the air downfield. Yes, I'll grant you that, but that's what they're asking him to do. So good for Graham Mertz. And give me more if you're Devin Leary. Also, a 59.5% completion percentage with five picks puts him at 13th in the SEC. He's been turning the ball over. Now, maybe they're just tightening things up because they've been playing inferior competition, and that happens every year. And maybe they'll play their sharpest game of the year, Will Kentucky, this Saturday. But it's another moment of truth for the Florida ground game, I'll tell you that. They ran it for, I think, 13 total yards against Utah. Sorry, had a hiccup. They came home a couple weeks later and ran it very effectively against Tennessee. Well, now, you know what you get to face on the road? You get to face statistically the best run defense in the SEC so far. Now, it has been against questionable competition. So that's what the moment of truth is about. Either Florida gets stoned at the line of scrimmage and Graham Mertz has to win the game, and I don't think he will, or you got ETN there uh, clipping it at 6.7 yards per carry. If he's sort of around that yearly average, well, then, then you can do some business in Lexington. What does the model think, Colin? Because Kentucky's favored by two and a half. The model thinks that's slightly too rich. The model says this should be a pick'em. Now, 
Billy Napier is one and four on the road in his last five games. Florida has lost eight of nine on the road. They are not nearly the team on the road they are at home. This has got to change at some point. It's got to change. And so as hostile as I sound towards Florida, it's just because I expect more and you're going to give me more because I think you're going to win Saturday. So I'm going to take Florida to win. I will take the points if you'll give them to me. I'm going to take Florida to win. I'm going to take Florida, obviously, to cover. And I think it's going to be a very tight game. Kentucky's got Utah vibes. Like anytime you pick against them, it's a catch-22 because they will then use that as fuel. And sometimes if you pick them, then people say, oh, here you go, picking Kentucky again. Kentucky's never going to happen. Stop trying to make Kentucky happen. And I'm like, just please leave me alone and go start your own show. So I'm saying Florida's going to win. I'm saying Florida's going to cover. This is not a best bet by any stretch. I have no money on this game. I'll just have eyes on that game. But there are games I have money on. And here are six of them. So the other night, Ramen Noodle Express, we jumped on four games early. That's a good thing because the lines moved. So we're on Iowa State plus 21. We're on Fresno minus 22 and a half. Nebraska plus 18 and a half. And San Diego State plus 10 and a half. We are adding as of tonight after some line movement. Drum roll, please. Brigham Young plus one and a half. I believe that's a Friday night game. And we're adding Wyoming minus 14. So Wyoming minus 14 and BYU, Big 12 member BYU, plus one and a half. Those are the added best bets tonight. I had an internal goal to get the show in in an hour. And we're at an hour and 10 seconds and counting. So not too bad. It's like five miles an hour over the speed limit. They won't pull you over for that. And so I appreciate you guys. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel. One quick favor, one quick favor podcast is doing really good numbers. Um, Subscribe to it if you haven't. I know a lot of you are listening right now and you're just downloading the shows. Great. Keep doing that. Just do me the small favor of subscribing to the podcast, which does nothing to your experience, but it helps our internal numbers. So thank you so much for that. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless.